Welcome to the Lock Sportscast, your weekly source for Lock Sport news and sometimes interviews. This is episode 29, recorded December 19th, 2020. I'm your host, Charles Current. In today's episode, PandaFrog is providing more services for the community via his website. We have a plan for how to accept nominations and votes for the Locky Awards. Lockpicking Dev is selling off some of his lock collection and custom picks. Flaws in IoT devices revealed at Black Hat Europe, and that might include some smart locks. And of course, more lockpicking criminals, sales, and giveaways. If you're interested, you can find the audio version of this show on most podcast apps and at thelocksportscast.com. You can find the video version on YouTube. Links to all stories discussed will be in the show notes. You can find full show notes at thelocksportscast.com because some of the podcast apps and YouTube limit the length of show notes and whether they can include clickable links. So I always keep a good copy of the show notes at thelocksportscast.com. Start off with some corrections and additions for last week or last couple of weeks. Uh, Last week, I forgot to give Deadlocks a producer credit in the audio version. I caught it in time to put it in the credits in the show notes, but I did not verbally say it on the podcast, so I apologize to you, Deadlocks. Also, I forgot to credit PandaFrog as a content producer for the last two episodes, even though he's had content in there. I was crediting him as the executive producer, but I forgot to mention that he was also a content producer, so I apologize to PandaFrog. In announcements this week, first, I just want to say happy holidays to everyone, whatever your faith or tradition, no matter how you have to celebrate this year. It is 2020. I know some of you have lost loved ones, and many of you won't be able to gather with family this year, so please remember that others are having similar difficulties. In some traditions, this is the season to love, support, and forgive one another, and I think we could all do with a little more of that this year, so just keep that in mind, please. On a similar note, Lockpickers United Charity Raffle is still getting started. They are accepting uh, prize donations, so if you are interested at all in helping to support that, please be sure to head over to the Locksport subreddit or the Discord and let them know. And the Pack Lock a Month winner for November was Cherell, and he's I've contacted him and will arrange to get him his Pack Lock as soon as I have a chance. So congratulations, Cherell. He's definitely earned it. He uh, He has been the number one content producer for the last couple of months. And starting right off, Terrell shared a tweet with me by the Master Locksmiths Association, and it said, Great to hear our MD talking talking on BBC Radio, you and yours today, about the rising number of consumers being ripped off by rogue locksmiths and warning homeowners about the bait-and-switch scam. And Anthony said, Seems like a persistent issue, but BBC is a major news outlet mentioning it, the locksmith portion starts at 20 minutes and 50 seconds. And so you can go to the link in the show notes or the BBC's website and search out their show. And you can listen to that. But it's good to, to see more recognition going to that. 
I think uh, it's something that really needs to be put out there so that people are aware and they don't get ripped off. In community-related news this week, PandaFrog has started hosting a new service on his website called the Multipick Giveaway Serial Number Check. And he says, as you might know, every Multipick Elite pick has a serial number and they draw three winner numbers every month. It is a pain in the you-know-what to check these numbers every month. I was contacted by a developer of our community who would like to stay anonymous to see if I could build a website where you can enter your serial numbers and get a notification if your numbers were picked. Starting right now, you can enter your serial number and your email, and we will run the winning numbers every month against yours and message you if you have won or not. Disclaimer, we are not associated with Multipick. This is a service from the community for the community. And thank you to the anonymous developer for building the website. Cheers, Pandafrog. I will have a link to that in the show notes. It is multipick.challenge-lock.com if anybody is interested. And also, Pandafrog uh, got in touch with me and offered to help set up a system for accepting nominations and votes on the Locky Awards this year. So since I don't have a proper website set up, the actual hosting of the system will be on his website, but you will get there from LockyAwards.com. So between the 1st and the 31st, you can go to LockyAwards.com and follow the instructions that you will find there to submit your nominations. You will have to register on the site, challenge-locks.com, in order to v- nominate or vote. But you should probably do that anyway, and while you're there, you can register your challenge locks, register your multi-pick serial numbers, and uh, check out the Million Scoville Locksport Club if you like. Uh, thank you very much to PandaFrog for doing that. I really, really appreciate it. I was kind of struggling with how I was going to get that done this year, and it is a huge weight off my shoulders to have his support. And don't worry, we, we are working on systems to ensure that I can make sure that everything is above board. Uh, Chirera also sent me a tweet. Uh, looks like Locknoob has a new side channel, which is called SideNoob. So if you're interested in some of Locknoob's side projects, go to side, or go to YouTube and check out his new channel, SideNoob. The link will be in the show notes as usual. I was also contacted by Mr. Blackmagic. He said, hey buddy, I don't know if it's content you were looking for, but I made a new video as the first part of some tutorials and how-to videos that I'm planning. Maybe you want to use it in your awesome podcast. And he sent a link to his first video in that series, which is his video number 11, Finger Pin Tutorial, What Are They and How to Pick Them? Both smooth and serrated. So I watched it. It's a very detailed explanation of how finger pins work and how to pick them with demonstrations. It looks like it's a good start to a series, so um, I'm going to recommend that people go over, check out Mr. Black Magic's YouTube channel, and uh, check out the video series. I will have links in the show notes as usual. He also mentioned that he thinks he is the first to pick the Bassey K10. Uh, it is pretty much the same lock as the Dom IX 10KG, he says, but it is technically a new lock, and he thinks he is the first to pick it. So that will be in his video number six, and you can go check that out on his page as well. And there was a set of videos that I found interesting this week put out by The Bone in the Box called Dissecting Table Primus 29SL. He takes apart a 
Primus 29 SL. This is the, the lock that uh, Lock-A-Lot was the first to pick. I think I announced that the last week or the week before. And he does a good job of tearing it apart, showing you all the bits and pieces, the L-pins, the finger pins, the sidebars, how that all interacts. And you can really get a feeling for what makes this one different than the original Primus. So I will, of course, link those in the show notes as well. Trail shared a tweet by Martin Newton on Twitter. It is a picture of a wooden model of a Chubb cruiser padlock with a two-in-one picking tool. It's just, it's a beautiful wooden model of, with a, like a clear plexiglass cover on the front of it. So you can see all of the uh, wood levers in there as it's really cool. You should go check it out. Link in the show notes as always. Cherell also put me in touch with Lockpicking Dev, who is uh, selling off some of his excess locks in his collection. And he has a post with pictures of the locks. He's also selling off some uh, custom picks that he has. And you can PM him if interested. He will, says he will take most reasonable offers on the locks. And anything that aren't sold will be sold on eBay. He's just trying to get rid of them. So you will have to pay shipping. And he has the prices for shipping in the post as well. He has a list of what he has for sale. He has a 83 Series Core with a Yale GA Keyway. An Abus Lotto 7140 with no key. An Allmont Rekey. American 1105 six pin version, Brady Lotto 7140, two of those, Master 6121, all keys cut by hand besides one of them. There's four of those. Master Lock 21 rekeyable, three of those. Morris Lotto's, uh, at the time of this list, he had 100 of those. Multi Lock Cylinder, Multi Lock MT5 Euro, some pieces shaking around inside, he says. SNG File Cabinet Lock. Sepix padlock. I'm not familiar with that. Yale 840. And this list is, by the time you're hearing this, uh, almost a week old. So some of those may be gone, but it doesn't hurt to go over there and uh, check that thread and get in touch with him if you're interested in any of those. For Karate Belts this week, we had Locky McLockface Jr. on the 14th earned his purple belt and fairly decent picker dude earned his brown belt also on the 14th. Congratulations, gentlemen. Now I'd like to take a quick break, say thank you to the people that made this episode possible. We have the executive producers, the Patreon supporters, Medler, Pandafrog, Michael Gilchrist, Starrylock, Williams Brain, and 2B Deciphered. The content producers, Mr. Black Magic, Terrell, Joshua Gonzalez, HV Logic, Michael Gilchrist, Pandafrog, Starrylock, and Pocket Woman. And I want to put a special thanks to a couple of amazing producers. The producer who said I didn't need to mention him, who left a $25 uh, Christmas donation in my PayPal last week. Thank you very much. It really made my day. And Pandafrog for all of his work in setting up the nomination and voting system for the Lockheed Awards. You have no idea what a weight off of my shoulders that was. That was something I was really stressing out about because I hadn't figured it out yet. Please remember that this show is only possible because of your information and support. So if you value the podcast, please support, help support it by sending in your news, links, events, giveaway information, anything you have that's Locksport related that you think the community might benefit from knowing. Just send it in. 
I'll sort through it all, organize it, and put it together. That's my part. And uh, But I can't do it without your help. So you can send any of that information to podcast at thelocksportscast.com or any of the other methods listed in the show notes. Or you can go to support.thelocksportscast.com to find a full list of ways to contact me. Don't forget to share the podcast with your lockpicking friends. You can leave a review or a comment on your favorite platform. You can subscribe or donate on Patreon, PayPal, or Buy Me a Coffee. If you support the show with a donation or information that I can use, I will give you a producer credit and a link in the show notes. So be sure to let me know if you want me to link to your YouTube channel, blog, Instagram, Twitter, or something else when you send in your information. And on to criminal news. This first one technically isn't a lockpicking criminal, but it, uh, I think it, it illustrates a good lesson, so I wanted to include it anyway. Out of Irvington, Indiana, caught on camera, Irvington family has two cars stolen in the same day. An Irvington family became victims of the same crime twice on Tuesday. Around 2.30 in the afternoon, resident David Duffy said he started his car as he was leaving for work, and minutes later, it was gone. He's quoted as saying, So I started it, went inside just to say goodbye to the kids and give them a kiss goodbye. I came back out as I saw somebody squealing off driving with my car. I'm old and out of shape, but tried to chase them, which probably isn't very smart because I'm not sure what I would have done if I caught them. When he lost sight of his van, he called police and he says that they've done this, starting the car to warm it up, every day that it's been cold out for the last 17 years that he's lived in Irvington and never thought about it twice. It's 2.30 in the afternoon, you'd think it'd be fine, but obviously I was wrong. The key ring that was in the van that was stolen contained keys to everything they own. He had a low mobile locksmith coming out to change the ignition cylinders on his other two vehicles, and he said just before 8.30 p.m. he was outside, and the mobile locksmith was only about five minutes away when two people pulled up in his stolen van and stole the family's car, a 2006 Mazda 3. They had the key to it, and they just tore off. I tried chasing them again, but cars are faster than I am. So he's out two cars. Um, he did change the deadbolts on his cupcake shop and stuff like that, but just a quick lesson, you need to be careful. It's, uh, it's easy to become trusting of a quiet neighborhood, but... It's also easy for a criminal to just be walking through and see a target of opportunity. Um, I know in colder areas, it is quite common to have to warm the car up some before you just tear out. You got to you know, warm it up, defrost, scrape the windshield, do all that kind of stuff. And sometimes it can be quite unpleasant to have to sit in the car while it's warming up enough to defrost the windshields properly. It's probably not the most secure thing, but one thing I have done in the past is keep an ignition key for the vehicle I'm warming up, separate from the rest of my keys. I go out, start up the car, and close and lock the door, and then my other key ring has another key to the car to unlock it, get back in, and then drive off. It's something I've done in the past when I've had vehicles that were extremely cold-blooded. Again, probably not the best solution. It's probably best to stay with the car as you're warming it up, but you know, you do what you can do. And they also uh, have remote start 
systems nowadays, you know, that come with uh, cars or, or aftermarket uh, systems that you can remote start the vehicle while it's still locked up and the steering's still locked and all that. So it's definitely going to slow somebody down if they want to try and steal the vehicle. And out of Crossville, Tennessee, suspicious driving results in Georgia fugitives arrest. On December 8th, police observed a 2013 Chevrolet Avalanche suddenly turn into a Ford dealership's rear parking lot, make a circle through the lot, and then pull out of the lot at a high rate of speed. The pickup nor the trailer had any license plates. The vehicle was quickly stopped, and the male and female occupants both told police that they didn't have any identification with them. They provided names, but physical descriptions did not match the occupants of the pickup. A Tennessee Highway Patrol Trooper was called to the scene and assisted in identifying the suspects. The resulting investigation led to contact of the driver's grandmother and contact with Walker County, Georgia Sheriff's investigators. The subjects were identified as Jaron Allen Bell, 22, believed to be from Walker County, Georgia, and Destiny Hope Cook, 21, of Lafayette, Georgia, according to the police report. Once identified, Walker County detectives went to Crossville and took control of items found inside the pickup. Those items included a $100 counterfeit bill, a lockpick kit, three cell phones, and a Georgia license plate. Bell and Cook were charged locally with criminal impersonation after both lied about who they were. In addition, Bell was held for Georgia authorities from Lafayette, Georgia, on the charge of taking stolen property across state lines. The Walker County, Georgia Sheriff's Office also reported to Crossville Police that Bell is a suspect in a series of burglaries and Cadillac converter thefts in that county. The pair were placed under $750 bond on the criminal impersonation charges and extradition for Bell was begun to return to Georgia to face the theft charges there. Out of Bridgeton, North Carolina, police say that Daniel Fuller, 32, of Bridgeton, broke into a home on December 11th. They say that two safes were stolen that had money, car titles, financial documents, and other personal papers inside. Police officers and probation officers searched the home where Fuller was staying. They say they found stolen items along with marijuana, drug paraphernalia, drug scales, stolen credit card, and stolen identification documents. Fuller is charged with breaking and entering, larceny, safecracking, possession of stolen goods, possession of marijuana, and drug paraphernalia possession. It is reported that his probation has been revoked and he's being held on $80,000 bond. So if you have safes that are not too heavy to be moved, you might want to make sure that they are secured down because it's uh, a fairly common tactic for the thieves just to grab the safes, which obviously are going to hold the valuables and then break them open at their leisure wherever they uh, take them. And the U.S. Justice Department put out a press release on December 18th that said, Belmont man sentenced to 24 months for conspiracy to commit bank fraud. Out of Concord, John Daigle Jr., 33, of Belmont, was sentenced to 24 months in federal prison for conspiracy to commit bank fraud. United States Attorney Scott W. Murray announced today, according to court documents and statements made in court on December 12, 2019, the Belmont Police Department received a report of, that two people were using drugs in a parked car outside a convenience store. Officers responded and identified Daigle and Monica Kemper as the occup occupants of the vehicle. 
In plain view, they observed drug paraphernalia in the car. Officers seized the vehicle and applied for a search warrant, which was granted. Later that day, officers searched the car and found suspected methamphetamine, drug paraphernalia, mail addressed to various people in Laconia, Guilford, and Meredith, New Hampshire, including checks made out to people who were not the occupants of the vehicle, a USPS mail tote, and a lockpick set. On January 15, 2020, the Bedford Police Department began an investigation of mail stolen from a community mailroom. A surveillance camera in the mailroom showed that on January 12, 2020, Daigle was captured on video as he picked the lock to the mailroom, entered the room, rummaged through various packages, and left with a handful of mail. On various occasions between January and April 2020, Daigle and Kemper altered stolen checks and cashed or attempted to cash them at various banks in New Hampshire. Some of the checks were stolen from the community mailroom in Bedford and also from mailboxes in Manchester. On April 1, 2020, Daigle and Kemper attempted to use the stolen driver's license to cash a check at a credit union. On April 23, 2020, Daigle and Kemper were arrested by Manchester police officers after an extensive investigation. Officers seized the vehicle and obtained a search warrant. The vehicle contained over $16,000 in stolen checks, stolen credit cards, the stolen driver's license used at the credit union on April 1st, and various other pieces of stolen mail. Daigle previously pled guilty on August 6th. Kemper pled guilty and is scheduled to be sentenced on February 25th. Fraud crimes involving stolen mail can damage victims in a variety of ways, said U.S. Attorney Murray. In order to protect the integrity of the mail and our financial system, we will work closely with our law enforcement partners to identify and prosecute the criminals who attempt to profit by stealing mail and defrauding banks with stolen checks. The theft of mail in the furtherance of various fraud schemes has a significant financial and emotional impact on its victims, said Manchester Chief Alan Eldenberg. Hopefully, this will serve as a warning to all would-be thieves that there are serious consequences for this type of activity. This matter was investigated by the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, Belmont Police Department, Bedford Police Department, Manchester Police Department, and the case is being prosecuted by the Assistant U.S. Attorney Georgina L. McDonald and Aaron Gingrandi. I don't know how to say that. And... During Black Hat Europe 2020, researchers from Four Scout Technologies presented a paper entitled How Embedded TCP IP Stacks Breed Critical Vulnerabilities. The teaser synopsis to their talk reads In the past few years, there's been a rise in critical vulnerabilities affecting embedded TCP IP stacks, which had remained undiscovered for over a decade. The direct, unauthenticated, and sometimes cross-perimeter network exposure of these stacks, the often privileged portions of the systems they run in, and their position at the top of opaque supply chains complicating the vulnerability management efforts, make for a highly dangerous mix, resulting in periodic waves of critical vulnerabilities affecting billions of devices across the industry. But contrary to what many assume, The fragility of these fundamental components isn't limited to specific vendors or older closed-source stacks alone. In this talk, we will present over a dozen new vulnerabilities in multiple widely used embedded TCP IP stacks deployed in 
everything from networking equipment and medical devices to industrial control platforms. We will discuss the nuances in their exploitability and potential impact and demonstrate a proof of concept against a yet-to-be-disclosed high-profile target. In addition, we will present the first quantitative and qualitative study into vulnerabilities affecting embedded TCPIP stacks, showing a clear pattern to the affected components and features, as well as the root causes of the vulnerabilities that affect them. Finally, we will provide concrete advice on how to mitigate and manage vulnerabilities affecting billions of devices in the absence of a centralized patching and notification effort. So part of what this, uh, part of the dirty little secret of the electronics industry is that it's incredibly difficult to develop anything from scratch. So you use pre-built code libraries and uh, open source code projects, including a lot of these TCP IP stacks, and they're already built and they work. So you pull them into your project. You use them, and sometimes you keep pulling your source from the original source tree, but sometimes you fork it and go your own way. Um, You may not go back to the original to pull out or the supplier may not go back to the original to pull out uh, security updates. They may end up having to do it on their own. They may not bother at all. So several of the same bits of code and their vulnerabilities are present in just a ton of devices across the systems. So the reason I bring this up is my usual uh, soapbox. If you have a house door lock that has a convenience feature of allowing you to have a web app. In order to have a web app, it has to communicate on the the internet, which means it has to have a TCP IP stack. If it's using one of these, it could be vulnerable. But I'm not just harping on the TCP IP stack. These types of things happen in all the components. They're not usually inventing their own TCP, TCP IP stack. They're usually not inventing their own Bluetooth stack. They're usually not inventing, you know, their own Wi-Fi uh, system. They're taking components that they don't necessarily control completely themselves and putting them together. And even if they don't control them themselves, they're prone to have some of these same defects. The more of those you put in there, the more opportunities there are for hackers to find the flaws. And these systems aren't regularly updated. So if you have your door lock, does it have an auto update feature? Is it going to automatically go out and update itself when they, you know, hopefully the supplier, you know, Quickset or whoever updates their stuff? Is it only going to be on new locks or are they going to go retroactively update yours? I doubt it. So the embedded market is very different than the computer market in that they aren't pushing out updates all the time. The, luckily, you know, Windows and Chrome and a lot of these computer systems have started doing automatic updating. So they can fix vulnerabilities quickly and get them out to everybody that uses the system. But embedded v- devices are rarely set up that way. So it's just something extra to think about. I know. I'll get back off my soapbox now. All right. So back to sales. Uh, 
Southward, 25% off all products from November 25th to December 23rd. So that's almost over, but use the coupon code CHEER25 to get that if it's still active. Commando locks, uh, 15% off all locks with the code FALL2020 that expires on the 1st of January. Mako locks, 15% off with the code by Mako seems to still be working. And last time I checked a couple of days ago, the uh, Black Friday specials page was still live, and the Buy Mako deal still works on top of that. I haven't checked it today, but UK Lockpickers 10% off with the code GIFT was still working a few days ago, so you can check that out. And in giveaways, Michael Gilchrist is still holding his uh, Norland 250 giveaway. To enter, you submit a video with the hashtag Norland250 in the title, pick a lock around your skill level, tell a story about something positive that has happened to you during the pandemic. The entries must be submitted by December 25th or when he reaches 250 subscribers, whichever comes second. You can confirm your entry was received on a Google Docs spreadsheet that he has linked in his giveaway video description, so go over there and check that out. And PandaFrog has his hashtag XmasPF2020 giveaway. The rules, you must use the hashtag XmasPF2020 so he can find your video. Pick a lock in a non-destructive way with a Christmas slash holiday spirit or theme. If you don't do Christmas, you may choose a different spirit or theme, but he would like you to explain about that theme. The giveaway ends 24th of December at midnight GMT plus one. Starry Lock and Pocket Woman are still doing their Shout Out Monday series. And just a reminder, they are giving away, uh, Starry Lock is giving away a 20 pound Law Lock Tools gift certificate. Pocket Woman has thrown in the Lockwood Brass Padlock and the Lighted Follower that she made following the instructions by Dr. Lock. So they're doing two shout outs each, each Monday. So that's a total of four shout outs every week for 16 total shout outs and 16 chances to enter the draw by the end of the month. So make sure that you go get over to their channels and check those out and get entered. Uh, Charles Buildscrap, Pack Lock a Month giveaway still going on. Uh, the way you get entered in that is send me uh, information that I can use in the podcast or share the podcast online. Make sure to tag me on social media so that I know that you shared it and I'll get you an entry for that too. As I said earlier, the winner for November was Anthony Jarrell. So congratulations to him. I am collecting the entries now for December and it looks like there was lots of interest in me continuing the giveaway into 2021. So I will be uh, contacting Packlock to order a new set of locks for that. For more information, you can go to giveaway.thelocksportscast.com and get all the details and rules on the giveaway. And remember to send me any information you have that is Locksport related, even if you don't think it's important. It might just be the bit of info that I need. If not, no harm done. Thanks for your support. And remember to keep it legal.
Just remember that this show is only possible because of your information and response. Please just remember that this show is only possible because of your information and support.